Good morning. Good to see all of you here today. I want to welcome everyone, uh, especially you if you're visiting here with us, if you're a guest. It is really, really great to have you here today. And, uh, you know, as Mike shared in the beginning, we're right in the smack in the middle of this series called Christian. You say, well, Christian, why, why Christian? Well, you're, you're going to know exactly. It's really for us to weigh in as a church. What is this word? What's this really about? And that's what we've been asking for the last few weeks, and it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper uh, as, we, as we look at this. And today the title of our, our lesson is Showing Up. You know, this can have uh, something to do with Christian in our, our mind. Just, just show up, right? So we're going to flesh that out. You know, the interesting word, Christian, Jesus never referred to his, his followers as Christians. Never once did he call his followers Christians. And, you know, for a lot of us, we've settled for Christian because everybody throws it around. Everybody uses that word. Uh, It's pretty commonplace here in America. And the problem with Christian is you can make Christian meaning just about anything. Uh, You can believe about anything. You can live out about anything. And if you ever want to raise a question with somebody who calls himself a Christian and say, no, wait, you're not really a Christian, you'll lose that argument. Because the truth of the matter is it's not in defined in the Bible. It's only there three times, and there's no definition. Uh, It's actually a term that was used by outsiders to define insiders. Uh, they, they are the ones that came up with the word, but it's not, it's not something that Jesus used. In fact, what we're going to look at today is Jesus used a brand that his followers, his followers took so seriously that if you look at the city of Rome today, how many of you have been to Rome? Raise your hand. I, I've never been, so I'm just saying, raise your hand. Okay, not, not a lot, but if, if you've ever been to Rome, there are crosses Everywhere in that city. I mean, on walls, the tops of buildings, everywhere. 300 years after Jesus began his ministry, if you look on rooftops, you look in plazas and squares, on these, these, these walls, everywhere you look, there are crosses in the city of Rome. Even in the Colosseum where the emperor used to sit, as you can see, there's a huge cross. The same place where they tortured and murdered followers of Jesus. So today I want to I take you back a little bit. You say, well, that, the reason why that's there is because the Pope lives there. I, I want to take you back even before that. Because it's not just about that. This is actually a a mystery of history that we're going to look at today. It was about 64, 65 A.D. Nero was in power. He was the Roman emperor. And he burns the city of Rome on purpose. And he needed a scapegoat. He needed someone to blame for this this burning of the city. Because, I mean, imagine you're burning down people's homes and their businesses and their livelihood. And you've got to have somebody to blame. So he found... The knockoff Jewish cult called Christians. And he says, I know what I'll do. I'll blame them for this. 
And so he began sending out his, his, his road warriors. He announces it's the whole city. The people responsible for this fire and for burning down most of your city are these Christians. So he sends out all of his road warriors to collect up all the Christians and to begin killing them. Not, you know, as you would think as, you know, criminals, but he made sport out of them. There was a place called Nero's Circus. It was the Colosseum. And it was made famous, you know, in the movie Gladiator. You remember that scene where they, they're riding into the city and they'd never seen a structure like this. It was imposing. It was an amazing. It was an arena. It was huge. And Nero turned it into a sporting event. To murder Christians. Not just in any old way. He would burn them. Alive in front of thousands of people. So they, they got a thrill out of watching Christians die. They were fed to animals, men, women, and children. And basically, every Christian was running for their life in Rome. And it was a very intense time for our brothers and sisters, people who put their faith in Jesus. And I want you to imagine... In this setting, as everybody fled, all the Christians fled Rome. I want you to imagine leaving the city of Rome and going out to the province, to maybe a farm. And in that farm, behind it, there's a barn. And behind the barn, there's a, there's a stack of hay. And, and you, you move up to that hill of hay. And, and behind that hill of hay are three families huddled together, crying and shaking. You look into the, to the husband's eyes, the father's eyes, and you see terror as they've just lost everything. Their job, their home, everything. And they've seen their friends, their family members taken away and murdered. If you were to went, walk up to these families and look them in the eye and say, in 300 years or less, that city that you just ran from, that place that you call Rome, the center of, of, of the empire, the most powerful empire in the world, that same city where Nero reigns is going to be covered in crosses. There'll be crosses everywhere, not wooden crosses and not a sign of crucifixion, but of one crucifixion. Those crosses will be on stones, on buildings, on towers, on everything you can imagine. And there will be a cathedral, a huge square built in honor of one of your leaders. The fisherman, the apostle Peter. And you know, Rome will no longer be Rome. In fact, that all those temples that you see in Rome that they worship Jupiter, people won't even worship Jupiter anymore. They won't even know about Jupiter. If you told those families that at that moment, they wouldn't believe it. They wouldn't 
They wouldn't. They'd say, are you crazy? Rome is forever. Jupiter is forever. We're just a little fledgling group. We're just, we're just this poor band of people that have found forgiveness and have found teachings that have changed our lives. But we can never change Rome. In fact, we're losing momentum. We're dying out. We're going to be wiped off the earth. And yet, the reality of that story is, 300 years later, those same fledgling Christians, they changed the world. And how hard it would be for them to, to, to imagine their tiny, weak movement would turn Rome upside down. And in less than 300 years later, this would all happen, which in, in historical time, that's a very short time. But today we're going to look at how did this happen? How did Christianity, how did the followers of Jesus overthrow Rome and spread throughout the whole earth? How did that happen? I'll tell you how it didn't happen. It didn't happen because Jesus' followers decided to call themselves Christians. That's how it didn't happen. Those followers didn't lower themselves to just be Christians. It happened because they embraced the teachings of Jesus. They embraced it in such a way that Jesus gave them a new brand. And they overthrew empires. And it's even amazing today, thinking 2,000 years later, we're still talking about Jesus. He's still changing families and lives. But we've got to be honest here today. Something's happened to the way. And if you're visiting here with us today, you know, this is an opportunity for you to, to hear about how they changed the world and what following Jesus really means. But I want to spend a good amount of time talking to us as members. And you get to listen in if you're visiting here with us today. You can take some time off if you want and check your email, check a few text messages. I want to have a heart-to-heart -heart with my brothers and sisters, members of this church. Amen. And ask some questions. You knew it was coming, right? Last week we set it up perfect, right? Judge the believing, not the heathen. Remember that? Well, here we go. They changed the world in the first century. So what are you doing? They turned the whole world upside down. What are you doing? What am I doing? What are we doing? Really? The truth of the matter is, we've settled for Christian. Why would we do that? Why would we settle for a word that has no definition? Why would we... Why would we call ourselves something that's not clear, it's not defined, it's, it's very loose? And so today for part four, we're going to read the speech that started everything. 
opening day for Jesus' ministry. When he pulled all of his disciples and then there was such a following that he had to go up on a hillside. And he preached his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And this was the speech that rallied everyone, that laid the groundwork for what we know as the following of Jesus and the beginning of the movement. It laid the foundation for his value system, his worldview, and the lifestyle of his followers. So let's begin. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Open your Bible if you have it. I want to make sure you, you read it for yourself. We're going to read here from Matthew chapter 5 and, and verse 1. It's up on the screen if you don't have your Bible. I'd encourage you to bring yours. Uh, not if you're visiting. If you're visiting, you're a guest. Okay? You can share with the person next to you. But it's up on the screen. Now, when he saw the crowds, now there were hundreds, maybe thousands of people gathered around. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. Now, notice he didn't call his followers Christians. Never. Not once. He called them disciples. Which is clear. Verse 2. He began to teach them. And he says here in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And then and in the crowd you see, you see a hand go up and... Excuse me, Jesus? Really? Poor? Mourn? Meek? Jesus, do, do you know where you are? This is, this is the overthrown Israel. Do you know what happens to people when they're poor in spirit? Do you know what happens to people when they lower themselves this way? We're going to overthrow the Roman Empire. We're going to be a kingdom set to itself with this, with these words. I don't know. It gets worse. He goes on in verse 7. Blessed are the merciful. Whoa, 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 whoa. Merciful? There's no mercy here in Palestine. There, there's, there's only cruelty. You show an ounce of mercy, you'll be taken advantage of. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will be, for they will see God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed for the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Do you know what it means to, to make peace with Rome? You're, you're going to be a traitor. You become a tax collector. You don't make peace with Rome. They take over you. They, they, will, they will overrun you. They will exploit you. You don't make peace. These were this, this was his audience. They were hearing it in this way. Then he goes on, he keeps on going. In verse 10 he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted 
because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 11, he goes on and he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the big speech. This is it. I kind of think the reaction is like it is here this morning. Quiet. Matthew, did you write this down? Maybe he's going to do a miracle. Because people aren't feeling this. This is this is the speech. Change the world. Yet, those that embrace this teaching, those that, that just said, you know what? I, I've tried everything else. I've fought. I've got the sword out. I've, I've tried the rebellion. I've tried the, the revolution. We've only gotten squashed. I think I'm going to give this a try. 300 years later, this changed the world. This kind of crazy teaching that you can't, you can't believe it. You go, wait, if you do that, then this. And then, you know, maybe they sat down and they said, okay, Jesus, let's review what you've just said. Okay, let's go over this. The poor, the sad, the meek, the righteous, the merciful, the pure, the peaceful, insulted people waiting for a reward in heaven. Great. I want to be a part of that. Right? Jesus says, okay, okay, I, I, I see you don't get this. So let me give you a word picture. Let me, let me help you visualize what I'm talking about. He goes on and teaches here, just so we can understand, Matthew... Verse 13, he says, Now, you're the salt of the earth. Now, for, for these people, they understood exactly what Jesus meant. Salt, at that time, was a preservative. It was used to preserve food. A preservative is this, a substance added to food to prevent decomposition due to the chemical change or bacterial action. It was the only thing they, could ha they had to preserve food was salt. And Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. What happens to things when they don't have preservatives? Ever watched it? Ever left something out on the counter and went out to work, came home, how about if you ever went on vacation and left something out? Ever done that? I've done that. The whole house smells. If you don't have refrigeration or you don't have salt, things rot. And then things start to come alive again. They come back to life and they crawl and they move. On top of all the other nastiness. They understood this. 
See, without preservatives, things rot. Things stink. Things get really nasty. And so, for them, it was very clear what Jesus was saying. He's saying to his audience, and the same thing he's saying to us here today. He's rebranding us. He's saying, you're not Christians, you're salt. You're salt. You, you're the ones that are going to preserve our world and our society today. If you don't preserve, guess what happens to our planet? Guess what happens to our society? Guess what happens to our children? They rot. Guess what happens to families? Guess what happens to marriages? They rot. They stink. They decompose. Guess what happens to college students' lives? They rot. They come undone. Guess what happens to high school students? They have absent parents. Everything comes undone. They get involved in things at a young age. They have no one to guide them, no one to teach them. You are, this is what Jesus is saying to his audience, and this is what he's saying to you and me today. You are the preservative of the whole earth. If you don't preserve them, if you don't preserve the East San Gabriel Valley, it will rot. It will stink. It will develop an awful Awful smell. In the world that Jesus' time, for them to hear this, might makes right. They didn't have a moral value. They didn't have a sense of right and wrong. Basically, what, what, what it was all about, it was who had the longest sword. He was the guy in charge. He was the guy that dictated to everybody else how we're going to do things. There was no moral system. In fact, some of us, we couldn't appreciate this because we live here in the United States. We don't even realize women at this time were treated like possessions and very poorly treated possessions. Women had no rights. Children were treated like animals, like pets. They weren't loved and taken care of. They were pushed aside. They, they occupied a space. And they were left many times because they were unwanted, like our humane society is trying to stop dogs and animals from being abandoned. Children at this time were being abandoned. Just left to die. That's, that's the society that Jesus was speaking into at this time. And we can't imagine this because we're in the United States of America. We, we don't get this. And for many of us, we don't even appreciate what we have. Our society has been deeply impacted by the teachings of Jesus, the Judean Christian value system. Let me give you some examples. How are women treated today in our society in 2012? You're treated as equals. There was a huge revolution in our country. Where did that come from? Where did that consciousness come from? It came from our Christian values. You look at people differently. You look at them and you say, she's a person. He's a person just like me. That came from a consciousness that 
comes from the influence of our Judean Christian society. Children, when we look at children, we have compassion. You know, human trafficking? We can't even imagine it. We won't allow it in this country. If it's happening, we'll go after it. We will we'll send law enforcement out and we will stop it. There will be campaigns. It is unacceptable behavior to traffic children in our country. Where did that come from? Where did this consciousness come from? And not only that, common decency and courtesy. Where you you say hi to someone. What is that? Have you been to other places in the world? Have you traveled to these archaic places like the world that Jesus was speaking into? Our country is what it is today. Our moral system is what it is today. As maybe as, as off track as it is, but even some of the good things are a result of the Judean Christian value system that Jesus talked about. The same salt that he talked about influences our society today. See, I can't mistreat you because I understand you're somebody. And I need to treat you as I would want to be treated. Where did that golden rule come from? People that don't even have religion practice the salt which Jesus talked about. And for us to think about Jesus' ministry changed things for us. He taught His disciples how to pray. He, he taught this prayer. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father. What? Father? You mean not like Jupiter? You mean the gods don't play with us? Exploit us? Mistreat us? That we're just kind of out there? This was the religious system that Jesus was speaking into at the time. Even for the Jews, they saw God as someone distant. But because of Jesus, guess what? We have a conviction that we can call God our Father, that He cares about our lives. And we have this conviction, God loves you. He loves me. Where did that come from? I have value. No matter what's going on in my life, I have value. You have value. That all came back from Jesus. And once you embrace that, you understand, and, and this, this other teaching, I, I better be careful how I treat you because, and, and you better be careful how you treat me because God loves you and He loves me. And we have a conscience about that. And even how we love each other has been influenced by Jesus. He goes on in Matthew 5, verse 13. He doesn't stop there. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness. In other words, if it loses its ability to preserve, it was salt at one time, but it became, it became weak, it became diluted. It lost its conviction. 
it no longer has the ability to preserve. It's like a dad who's lost his moral authority in the home and everybody blows him off. Or the parents of teenagers who, old people, what do they know? Or someone who knows something's wrong and they just fold their arms and go, oh well, that's just the way it is. That's the way the world turns. That's what we're talking about. And Jesus says, how can it be made salty again? How can it get back to have that preserving factor? How can it have that that saving ability? It's no longer good for anything. Except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Maybe some filler for soil. But preserving agent? You know, in a little while I want to speak to this. Because we've got to ask ourselves a question. Jesus said... You're salt. No, 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 but I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, Jesus. I don't want to be salt. I don't want to have to, to maintain our society and preserve it. I just want to be a Christian. I want to go to church. I want to go to heaven. That's all. I don't want to be salt. I just want to be a Christian. Jesus say, what is, what is Christian? I never called you that. This is what I called you. I branded you as salt. That's that's your identifying word. That's who you are. And because the disciples, the followers of Jesus embraced this teaching, they they believed it. Even though they were a weak and fledgling group, they believed it. They said, we can change the world. We can preserve. And guess what? They did. They did. Talking about the earth, they didn't even know how big the earth. For most people, they only traveled about 15 miles. That, that was your distance. From here to Pomona, maybe, or just the end of Pomona. And then, then to here to the, you know, to, not Pasadena even, short of that. Arcadia, that's it. That's, that was your limit. That's your world. To think about, we, this group, can change the whole planet? They didn't even know about North and South America. They had no idea. And because they embraced the teachings of Jesus, what happened? Because they decided to be that? What happened? He goes on. He rebrands them again. He says, you're salt. And guess what else? You're light. You're the light of this world. You know, we as a church, we used to be the East Region Church of Christ. Uh, we changed our name. You know why? Some of you didn't get it. You said, well, that's a cool name. You know, well, there's a church down there that changed the name. You, you didn't understand what we were doing. And, and you're still stuck on Christian. You're still stuck on the East Region. It's not about the name. It's about your identity. It's about who you are. See, we needed to re-identify ourselves, but somehow over this last couple of years, we've slipped back into being, oh, we're just in a region of the L.A. Church of Christ. I'm just a Christian. No, no, Jesus is, no, 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 no. I don't even know anything about all of that. You're the light of the world. 
You, you, you. And, and, and then we said, well, I don't want to be a light. I, I just want to go to heaven. I want to take care of my kids. I want to raise my children in a good environment. I want to bring them here to the, the, the children's program. I want them to be taught a good value system. I, I just want to come here and I want to have quality friends. I don't want the burden of being a light. That's a lot of responsibility. People looking at me all the time. It means I'm going to have to live in a fishbowl. I just want to be me. I'm a freshman. I'm a sophomore. I'm just a kid. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just doing my job. I'm, I'm working at Wells Fargo. I'm, 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 I'm here. I'm there. I'm just doing my job. I just want to do my job. I just want to be left alone. I just want to go to heaven. Right? Leave me alone. And I prayed that magic prayer. I, I invited Jesus into my heart. And, you know, and I got this promise that, 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 that I was going to be saved and Jesus is going to forgive all my sins and I'm going to be a Christian. Or that I studied the Bible and I got baptized. And there was that time in my life where there was a big change. You know, that's all good and fine, but a lot of that I didn't even teach you. Let me tell you who you are. Your salt, your light. What if there's no light? H- have you ever been camping, or maybe maybe your car broke down and you're in the middle of nowhere out in the desert? You ever done that, and you got a flashlight and, and you're spotting it on something, and then all of a sudden the thing goes out? Or maybe you're camping in the in the deep forest and there's no no moon and, and it's 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 dark. It's really 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 dark. Or you're in a room and you there's creepy stuff going on, and you know like the movies and you, your, your flashlight it goes out. How's that feel? Jesus is saying, "Who taught you all this other stuff?" I'm saying your salt and your light. This Christian thing, I don't even know what that is. I don't even think you know what that is. This is what it is. Your salt and your light. And the world, when Jesus said this, was so small. Like I said, it was so tiny. They had no idea. If you were to walk up to those Christians at that time and said, listen... I know you don't believe this, but like 7,000 miles. What's that? 7,000 miles. There's another continent. There's another place. There's a whole huge continent. There's the north and the south. And then, and then going the other way, you know, about four or 5,000 miles. There's, there's India. There's China. There's Russia. All these places are going to have churches in them. And they're going to know about Jesus. You think they'd have believed you? This little ragtag group? You think they'd have any idea? And that 2,000 years later, we still be talking about Jesus? They didn't know this stuff. But because they took these two words that we, we're hearing today, these two words, they took these two words seriously. They embraced it. They said, yes. Yes, I, I'm, I will be salt. Yes, I will be light. Yes, it changed the world. But 
for us? What are we doing? Somehow we've got it in our head that I just want to go to heaven. I want to be a good person. I want to raise my children in a good environment. Jesus goes on, he says, in the rest of verse 14 and 15, he says, A town built. Now this word built in some of your translation is really translated in the Greek. The Greek translators, what they really intended was placed or set. Because it fit with the context. When, when they built these towns and villages in Palestine, in that area, it's a hilly area, but relatively flat. There aren't huge trees. So you can see places for miles. You can have that vision. And so when they would, they would build a village or a town, they would strategically place it where? On a hill. Why? So you wouldn't get lost. Right? You could see it. And they would build many of these structures with limestone rock. And limestone rock in the sun basically is like a mirror. It reflects. You can see, you can see a town or a village during the daytime because of the, the, the construction. You could see it for miles away. And they would strategically place these towns and villages. And at night, they would use lamps. And so even at night, you could see these places, these towns or villages. So you wouldn't get lost. You would always know where it is. And he's saying, that's you. You're strategically placed. No, 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 no. Wait a second. I'm here because I moved here from Chicago a number of years to go get a job. To get a job, I moved here from the Midwest. I moved here from Florida. I moved here from who knows where. I'm just here to get a job. It hasn't worked out. I haven't found a job, so I may be moving back home. This isn't strategic. I just work at Walmart. I'm just here at Lowe's or Wells Fargo or wherever. I'm not strategic. Jesus said, no, you, you, you are. You're there to give people light. You're going to change their life. You're going to lead them to me if you decide to shine. And when you shine, guess what happens? Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl? Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everybody. Fills the whole house with light. It goes on. And in verse 16, he says this. In the same way, let it shine. Let your light shine before others. I don't know. I don't want to be out there. I just, I'm kind of an... An introvert, I'm, I'm kind of a you know, quiet person. That's, my, that's who I am. I really don't like that. I just want to be a Christian. I don't want to be out there. I hate that feeling. People looking at me. The same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your church attendance and say, Dang, he's a good Christian. Is that what he said? And look at he's such he's such a nice person. Oh, she's so nice. Must be a Christian. Right? That's not what he said. This is what he said. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. May God, they will look to God and they'll say, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that this person was put in my life. Because I was out there. My life was a mess. I was, in a, I was in a wreck. And they came and they talked to me. They took an interest in me. Nobody else did. Nobody else cared. And he or she did. It's so, so weird. But they'll see it. And they'll give glory to God. See, Jesus' ministry changed things. Disciples would go out into the, into the, to the, the city and they'd see the children abandoned and they would pick up the children and take them home as their own. They would nurse them back to health and, and raise them. With their, they had children. That's what Christians did. And people would look at them and they'd say, these Christians, what are they? It's, it's so intense. And then you've heard this before. During plagues, Christians would stay in the city and nurse the sick. When the people would come with these sores on their bodies, they'd go to the, to the temple priest, you know, of the, of the foreign gods, and they would, they would show the temple priest their, their, their sores. And the temple priest would look at the sore and say, just a minute, i got to go ask my wife something. Honey, pack up all the stuff. We are out of here. The plague is in this town. And they would run. Christians? Followers of Jesus, they stayed. They nursed the sick, even putting themselves at risk. And one of the fames, of the, the, the things that blew people away about followers of Jesus at this time was that they weren't afraid to die. They were fearless. In fact, they, they weren't hanging on to their possessions. They were so generous. They were so giving. They, they didn't care about this world because they were thinking about another world. They weren't hanging on to life here. They were thinking about the next life. And they'd always talk about this other life. And man, how did they live? And how they would treat people. So I have this question for you. Why settle for Christian? Why are we settling for Christian when Jesus never used the word? Now, here's where we need to have a talk. You see, in our church lately, I don't know what's happened. But we don't really think that being here and you, there may even be some people online. Hey, how you doing? We don't really feel like our presence here matters. I come once in a while. Yeah, I'm a Christian. But you know, when I ever have something going on, or I oversleep, I just don't come. You know, in that, that midweek service, I haven't been in months. What's that? Is there any flavor in that? Is there any conviction in that? Here's the mentality. I come to church because I get something. But if I don't need it, I don't come. If I got something else going on, that's a selfish attitude. 
You don't realize, you don't preach the message, but what you do and what you bring to our fellowship makes a difference. You influence, you affect people. And when you don't bring your children to their children's ministry, they're not going to get any salt. They're going to get nothing. You will lose your saltiness. I've seen this for 27 years. And you somehow have bought into this idea that you're a Christian. You may be going to heaven. God decides that. But I can tell you one thing. You're not salt. And you're not light. There's no way. People look at you. They say, what's the difference? Like we talked about last week. I don't see Jesus. Why have you settled for Christian? You know, why, why are you so worried about hoarding your stuff and hoarding your time and you have no time? You have nothing left over for anybody else because you're so busy. Where's Jesus? You don't have time for Him in the morning anymore. You're up late and out early. And work, work, and life have consumed you. I'm going to just let you sit with that. And there's probably a whole other world of stuff that's going on. You know, there's moral issues going on in your life. Nobody knows. And the sad thing is, nobody cares. Really? I care. There are a lot of people who care. And, and i got to say this. There are a number of us in this church that are so good at being salt and light. I mean, it's amazing we got salt and light in this church. It's, it's, such, it's, such, it's such a refreshing feeling when you see. But there's too many of us that we've, we've, kinda, we've settled. I don't want to be a light. I don't want to be a salt. I, I don't want to mess with anybody. I just, just want to be saved. And what happens? We become just like everybody else. Our devotion to each other and to our fellowship. See, we don't see it as, as relationships. We see it as attendance. We see it as, a, this is an institution. I'm a member. I'm here. I'm present. Check the box. Just like we did when we were in our traditional upbringing in our church that we were raised in. There's not that much difference from then to now. Where's the passion? Where's the, I love Jesus and I will do anything for His church and for this community. I want to change the world. I want to be a missionary. I want to give my life. I want my life to make a difference in this dark world. I want my high school to be changed. I want my university to be turned upside down. I want my workplace to know I'm here. And I'm a follower of Jesus. But it all ties together. If you're not here... You don't give, and you don't get salt. You know what helps me? And I'm a minister. Church helps me. To see your face, to see your faith, I leave here today differently. Wednesday night, I leave differently. In our faith group, I leave differently. It, it, it gives me a little flavor. My times with God in the morning, it gives me a little flavor. I need it. I won't make it. I won't shine anymore. 
And then, then to talk about the influence that we're having, some of us don't even know our neighbors. A new couple, a new family could move in and I don't know who they are. It used to be a time when you'd take them cookies and a card and, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. I'm, I'm live right over here and whatever I can do. In fact, we have dinner meetings. If you'd like to come over and meet some of my friends, we'd love to have you. Or even conversations in work. You know, when you see someone at work and you just know they're going through it, you look them in the face and say, man, he's going through it, she's going through it. I don't want to stir things up. I don't want to judge. Listen, you will make all the difference at that moment in time. They know who you are. You've got to speak. You've got to be a light. You've got to take risks once in a while. It makes all the difference. Do you believe you can change your school? They had no idea. And they did. And I want you to remember your story. Remember how you came around? Remember that time when you were outside and you were looking in and then there was God strategically put a light. Someone in your life. Remember? Now, they didn't see themselves a light. They weren't walking around with their arms stretched out, you know, and I'm, I'm beaming out, you know, watch me, look at me. They weren't walking around like that, right? They were a friend. And they said, how are you doing? Why don't you come to my church? Why, why don't we do Bible studies? And you, you looked at them and you said, that person changed my life. God put them there at that time in my life. You would say it. They, they were a light. That's your story. Have they not done that? And some people have no idea that they're a light, but they're just doing their thing. They're, they're keeping the salt. They're, they're being friendly and outgoing and they're talking to people. They're interacting with people. They're realizing I'm here for a purpose. And you never know. You never, ever know. When somebody's on the verge of a breakthrough or a breakdown. I believe, this is my faith, I believe that God strategically tries to put people in the right place at those moments. But what, what, what is it like when, you know, kind of like God is counting on us and, and it's like that flashlight. It, it, it's not, it's not... I can't get it on. You take the batteries out. You look at it. You clean the lamp. You reconnect the lamp. You screw it back on. It still won't work. What is a flashlight that won't work? What is a follower of Jesus that won't shine? Really? Thank God someone shined in your life. Right? Thank God someone took the risk and said, and they opened their mouth and said, Hey, I care. Hey, I'll take some time out of my busy schedule this week to, to study the Bible with you to help you. Because I got a great gift and I want you to have it. In fact, I want as many people to have it as possible. Here's a fact. Salt always preserves. Always. You, you sometimes may not even see it. You know, salt, the interesting thing about salt is it can be on your food and you won't see it, but man, you put it in your mouth and mmm, mmm, mmm. Right? 
It's so good. I love salt. God, help me. And when you have food that doesn't have any, you're just like, mm, give me, pass, pass the salt. It always preserves. Always. Our society today, our society needs salt. Needs flavor. Not out there pointing the finger and, and like we talked about last week, I'm judging you and I'm judging this. and I'm No, no, no. Salt, it's present. You sometimes don't even see it, but it's there. It annoys people sometimes. It really annoys them. They're like, who does he think he is? I didn't say anything. I'm just not going to participate in the things that you're doing. Right? I'm not going to get involved in that. I'm just going to live my life. And I'm going to do right. Light always shows the way. Always. You know, that's what we need to be. We need to be like an arrow. One of those road signs that's pointing up. This is the way. This is where I'm going. This is who I'm focused on. This is what I'm all about. It's about Him. Our church isn't all that great, but all we need to do is just point people up. That's you. Salt always preserves. Light always shows the way. I want you to remember, because they embraced salt and light, Rome's covered Rome's covered in crosses. I believe we need to have another run as followers as Jesus. Because right now, Christianity, following Jesus is on the slide. We're going backwards. You know why that is? It's very simple. It doesn't take, you know, you don't need to do a, a, a master's thesis of religious studies and culture to figure this one out. The reason why we're losing ground in the world as Christians, why Europe is turned off, why they don't even want to know about Jesus, they don't want to know about religion, because they've seen cathedrals and churches where there's no salt and there's no light. It's simple. I've had people come up to me and say, I don't see Jesus in that church. Mm, man, that's the worst thing you could say about us. We don't have to be perfect. In fact, none of us are. We just got to be salt and light. That's all. So today, I want to leave you with a few things. Okay? Because it just can't be left at a, at a talk and... Oh, yeah, and I felt a little uncomfortable. Hmm. Man, I'm glad that's over. Whoa. Can we go have lunch? I want to encourage you, and if you're visiting here with us today, I'm glad you could be here. This is a little family talk, you know. I'm sure you appreciate it because you need a light and you need some salt in your life. But I want to encourage us, brothers and sisters, to have a little follow-up talk with your faith partner this week. Well, I don't have a faith partner. Well, we got a problem. You need to find one. You need to get on the phone. You need to find one. And you need to have a talk with someone this week about salt and light. Where are you at? And if you're visiting here with us, I want to encourage you, have a Bible study. Listen, God wants to use your life. You're not here by mistake. 
Listen, I was sitting where you were, maybe not in this building, but I was sitting in a church somewhere as a guest, and I had no idea. I've been a missionary to South America, Central America. I'm here. I've, I've, I've helped a lot of people. Look what I'm doing. I was like you. I had no idea. But I wanted to make a difference just a little bit. I had no idea. Do a Bible study. And for the men, brothers, guys, Jesus needs you. Jesus needs you. He needs your help. He needs you to step up and be men. Are you with me? And the last thing is, I want to encourage you, go public. Go public with what you've heard today. Okay? Do not keep this. Don't put it in your pocket. Don't walk away. Go public. All right. Here's what it is. I need to change. I need to change this. I need to change this. I got this stuff going on in my life. Nobody's going to judge you. It's, it's about you getting right. It's about you being what Jesus described you as being. He never intended for you to be just a Christian. He went intended. He put a brand on you. He said, this is who I want you to be. This is your identity. Salt and light. Don't settle for Christian. Amen. Let's pray for the communion. Our Father, we thank you so very much for today. God, forgive us, forgive me, forgive all of us, God, for allowing ourselves to settle for Christian. God, we want to be like our brothers and sisters in the first century that changed the world. You've changed our lives for the better, and we want to see so many other people's lives changed. They need you, God. They're probably at home right now, discouraged, depressed, hopeless, with no vision for the future. God, I pray you'll use us to help them. Please uh, purify our lives, God. If there's stuff going on in our lives, please give us a new beginning. God, we know that we fall a lot, but no matter how many times we fall, we pray that the blood of Jesus, the communion, will bring us back. Please wash us, God, and help us to have the strength to get up again and keep trying and go further and go deeper. Thank you for Jesus, God, that he bled for this decision, that he bled for this time that allowed his body to be beaten for this time. We love you. Thank you. Help our church. Help us to be like those disciples that fled Rome but held on to you. We love you, God. Be with us and help us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.